Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Luke chapter 1, everybody. I want to uh, talk all day. There will be a break, but I want to talk all day on the spirit-filled life. And I want to say a few things that maybe you haven't thought about before and plenty of other things you will have that will hopefully just be an encouragement and a reminder to you. I suppose I want to ask two questions today in the time that we have available and we want to wait upon the Holy Spirit in a moment and see what he wants to do. But I want to ask two questions of you and two questions of me. What does it mean to have a spirit-filled life? What does that actually mean? If you were to say to somebody, uh, what kind of church do you go to? And they say, oh, I go to a real spirit-filled church. What do we really mean by that? And then another question, not so much what do we mean, but what might the Bible mean by that? And then another question, which we'll pick up at two o'clock or thereabouts, is what does it mean to talk about a move of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Not just what we might mean by it, but what does the Bible mean when it talks about the moving of the Holy Spirit? And that's what we're going to talk about at two o'clock. So you want to grab a sandwich and for sure come, come back here if you, if you can. Luke chapter 1, and let's look at a few examples uh, of this occurrence in the text of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to, before I begin reading, let me give just a note of reassurance to everyone in the room who is frustrated because they've not been able to speak in tongues, that today I'm not going to bang you on the head about that, because as we're going to see, there's a whole lot more to being spirit-filled than speaking in tongues. How many of you know that people who speak in tongues, some of them split churches, are nasty, you wouldn't want to go on a date with them? <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Yes. Not all of them, but some of them. Anyone can say yabba dabba do. In fact, go on, say it. Say yabba dabba do. Hallelujah. We're going to talk about what, it, what the whole package is regarding being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Luke chapter 1 and several verses. I'm going to jump around. Follow me. Catch me if you can, all right? Regarding the birth of and the existence, the coming into being of John the Baptist. Verse 14, he'll be a joy and a delight to you, says the angel to Zechariah. Many will rejoice because of his birth. We've had that this week, haven't we? Little Archie been born. Seventh in line to the throne. And fifth in line to succeed Theresa May. (laughs) 
course, by the time they download this, that'll all be done. <laughs> Verse 14, let me get back to the Bible, all right? He'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. In fact, it could even be stronger in the original. I might even say in the original, from the womb of the mother. My goodness me. It's hard to know if that means uh, whether coming out of the womb or even being in the womb. That's why we don't know how to translate that. But anyway, pretty early on. Pretty early on. Then verse 41 of Luke 1. Mary and Elizabeth get together. And when Elizabeth, verse 41, heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 67. It's all happening in Luke chapter 1. It's the most Pentecostal chapter probably in the Bible. No, it is. It is. And it's in Luke 1. Verse 67, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the... Remember, he wasn't allowed to talk for a bit. Well, he's chatting now. Filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to God. And then Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in view here. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. More on that this afternoon. Acts chapter 2, great Pentecostal chapter, almost as Pentecostal as Luke chapter 1. But Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound The blowing of a violent rushing wind from heaven. And verse 4 of Acts 2. All of them, all of them now were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak. That means all of them began to speak. In other languages. As the Spirit enabled them. Two more of these. Acts chapter 4. And verse 31, a prayer meeting, the church have just been threatened. They don't know what to do, except they decide that trouble awaits them, so they better pray for boldness. Not as one student wrote in a paper I marked this week, baldness. (laughs) No, my dear, master's student. Master's student. The Holy Spirit does not give us the gift of baldness. (laughs) Some of you have that gift, I know, but, um, and I had it reading that paper. Verse 41, after meeting, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I thought that was going to happen this morning. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. You look in verse 29, that's exactly what they had prayed for. And now let's come to our final verse and the one that will hopefully allow us to jump into this. Acts chapter 6. If you've not been following me thus far, please have a look at this verse. 
And uh, we're going to look at verse 3 and 4. In Acts chapter 6, the church has grown to the point where they need more workers. And they appoint some people who are eventually we're going to call them deacons. But at that time they were just called servants and I think that's probably still a good idea today. Um, Some churches as we know are deacon possessed. (laughs) And it would be better just to get the word deacon just means servant. As does the word minister of course. And um, so here's what they do. They say well we need to... uh, Get some more volunteers on the stewarding team. And this is what they say. Brothers, verse 3. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Now, everyone look at me. Isn't that interesting? Well, we need to choose seven More people on the team. Okay, that's fine. Choose seven people who are, in the words of the NIV, known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, everyone just follow this for a moment. That means... Now, don't be be cross with me now. But that means that there were people among them who were not known to be full of the Spirit. And other people who were known to be full of the Spirit. Everyone understand? So just because they were there singing, he breaks every chain. That doesn't mean... By the way, just don't have any chains. Then you do. That's another sermon, isn't it? <laughs> That means that there were people there who were full of the Spirit and other people who were, at least we should say, not known to be full of the It wasn't obvious. And other people, it was obvious that they were full of the Spirit. Now, here's the question. When people think about me or they think about you, do they think of someone who is full of the Spirit. So sometimes it's not really... The question here isn't so much, Lord, am I full of the Spirit? It's, do you think I am? You know, you, the people around me, uh, uh, am I known to be full of the Spirit? Now, of course, in classical Pentecostal preaching and doctrine, of which I'm a firm subscriber... Pentecostal theologians and Pentecostal preachers have looked very carefully at the book of Acts and they, they've noticed this, that there is a, an absolute pattern going on where as the Holy Spirit comes on people, the most common phenomena is the, is the ability to speak in another language that hasn't ever been learnt. Speaking in tongues. I prefer languages because that... That's what the word tongues means. Language. They spoke in languages. It's funny, another paper I marked this week, all the way through, the student wrote about uh, people speaking in strange tongues. 
And I had to um, correct it every time. There's no evidence in Acts that anyone spoke in strange tongues. They spoke in other tongues. It might have been strange to the era, but they weren't strange tongues. It wasn't Klingon. Right? It was other tongues. And so there's no doubt, in my mind anyway, and not everyone in Christianity agrees with this, but you know, everyone can't be right. There's no doubt that one of the chief features of the book of Acts is as the Holy Spirit is poured upon people, certainly one of the chief characteristics is this ability to speak in other tongues. But here's the thing. Even the Pentecostals who were firm on this and believed in this, even they were smart enough to say that this was the initial evidence of this occurrence. But it wasn't the only evidence. And it wasn't supposed to be the only evidence. When something is initial, it means that there's much more to come. And so today, if you've asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit a thousand times, and you've been surrounded by deacons left and right, and one's telling you to hold on, the other telling you to let go, you know, and you don't know what, whether you're coming, going, or even been... Maybe the Holy Spirit will fill you in that way today and you'll speak in tongues today. But I don't particularly want to talk about that because as has already been noted, of course it's perfectly possible for someone to have had some sort of experience in 1994 or 1987 or 1970 or 2010. But today we want to ask the question, is there still evidence that the Holy Spirit is, has filled that person Now, here's the thing. Here's what we want to ask. Here's how we want to understand this today. How can we know what the Bible means when it talks about people being full of the Spirit? So when when they said, brothers, choose seven men who are known to be full of the Spirit, how could they know that these people were or not? What was the... What was the overwhelming sense of evidence that they were looking for? Which leads us to the question of, well, what does Luke, I mean, he's the writer of this book. What does Luke mean when he talks about people being spirit-filled? Not what do I mean, not what do theologians mean, not what do preachers mean, not not what do church doctrines particularly mean. But what does Luke mean when he says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? Because whatever Luke means, that's what it means. Whatever the original writer means, that's what it means. I tell students all the time, there's only one thing the Bible means. It means what it meant on the day that it was written. And words change, don't they? One time I went up to talk to someone and I said, how's it going? How are you doing? And he said, oh man, he said, I'm sick. I said, well, I'm really sorry about that. He said, no, no, it's, it's good. <laughs> I looked at him like, what, what? No, I mean, I'm sick. And he'd just been leading worship. I said, how did the meeting go? Oh, and he was sick. <laughs> now, just a few weeks ago, Jane and I were preaching on a farm where the 
I mean, a lot of the people there knew Moses. And you, you can't talk about the Azusa Street Revival there because they correct you by showing you pictures on their iPhone. Now, if I went there, I mean, a lot of them are older. So I said to them, you know, 75, 80 years old, how are you feeling? And they said, I'm sick. I should say, can I pray for you? But apparently if you're 17 and you're sick, you don't need prayer at all. I'm still struggling to know how something absolutely wonderfully good is now called wicked. My nan, she lived till 100. She used to skip around the house in 1970 going, oh, what a gay day. Well, we better not say that now. So words change meaning. That's the point I'm trying to make. So here's the thing. What does Luke mean by filled? What does he mean when he says the Spirit filled them? Because if we can work out what he means, then we can work out what God means, which means that we can tap into that. I want to be a Spirit-filled person. And so, let's begin a little investigation. Because quite often people say, well, if I said to you, are you Spirit-filled? You might think of that experience as, and I've shared this in various places, forgive me if you've heard this before, but you might think of that experience as being a bit like filled up like with a glass. So this bottle of water here is, is filled up almost at the top. It was before I drank it too. All right? So it's filled. Uh, if I said to you, are you spirit filled? You might say, well, I'm all right. You know, I'm about there. <laughs> I'm having a good meeting, so at the moment I'm up here. But I plan to have a row with my wife later and go down there. Got some particularly big sinning to do this week and I go down about here. Not going to pray much, so I'll go right down there. You know, this funny idea, well, are you filled? One uh, age-old saint, I forget who it is, I must, I always say this and I always forget who it is. Is it Spurgeon, whatever? And so, anyway, someone said, why do we need to keep on being filled? He said, because we leak. You know. But you see, this actually betrays the idea that this is somehow to do with water or liquid. Now, watch this. Everyone pay attention. I'm going to suggest to you today that Luke absolutely does not think of filled like that at all. Not at all. He doesn't think of it like water filling a cup. Or a bottle. He thinks of it, watch this, much more like wind filling a sail. Now, let's look at a few examples of this. Just so you believe me. Acts 3 and verse 10. Acts 3 and verse 10, and some of these should appear here. What we're going to do is we're just going to, t- we're going to look at five of these texts, looking very quickly at the word filled. And see what it seems to mean. So here what's happened 
is that Peter and John are on their way to prayer, Acts 3. The, the lame man at the beautiful gate, yes, healed and wonderfully restored. A crowd gathers. And they look at the, the, the people who are amazed. They recognize him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. And look, they were filled with wonder and amazement, right? You see the word filled? They were filled with wonder and amazement. Now here, that doesn't mean like a liquid. That means that wonder and amazement were temporarily, if not more permanently, on their faces. Uh, They were, uh, it moved their hearts, their characters, their personalities in that moment, maybe not later on when they had a row, but, but in that moment, those people were, you know, forgive the word spellbound, but I'm using it in the, in the right sense. They were, um, they, were, they were glued to the floor, and they weren't even environmental protesters. They were, they were, they were glued to the floor. <laughs> Look, I live in London, I've got the right to... They were glued to the floor. They're just what had happened had filled them with wonder and amazement. To put it another way, in that moment, wonder and amazement was dominating their personalities and determining their behavior. It actually made them stop. Something happened to the point where you could take a picture of it. But they weren't speaking in tongues. They weren't exhibiting any charismatic gifts. Maybe they all did later on, you know, when they got saved in the church. But in that moment, they were filled with wonder. Let me look at another one. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17 and 18... Here we have the high priest and his associates and the Sadducees. Look, they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy is not a liquid poured into them that might leak. Jealousy has, in that moment of time, dominated their personalities. In that, it is determining their behavior. What's the next verse after that? They get, they get mean. They rest them, you see. So they were filled with envy or filled with jealousy. It determined their behavior. Because the jealousy wasn't, a, it wasn't some airy-fairy uh, thought. Or as a pastor we heard recently kept saying throughout all his sermon, hairy-fairy. <laughs> there is no... Hairy fairy. It's airy fairy. Think H. I am not H. What happened was jealousy dominated their personality, which led to their behavior changing. Everyone with me? And there's another one, very, very similar one. Acts, Acts 13. And verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, 
they were filled with jealousy. And look what happened. Then they do something, you see. They talk abusively against Paul and against what he was preaching about. Do you remember we said that when Luke thinks of filled, it's much more like a wind going into a sail. When a wind goes into a sail, it doesn't leak. It moves the ship along. When, when wind fills the sail, it moves the ship. Now here, in one instance, they were filled with jealousy. So it moved them actually to do something evil, wicked. Like wicked, like in the King James Version, wicked. When the people saw the miracle, they were filled. The wind of, of wonder and amazement made them stop and stare. Acts 13.52, please. Acts 13.52. Another example where the believers, it says, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I wonder what that looked like. I bet it didn't look like this. Praise God. They were filled with joy. During this experience, at the end of uh, this section in Acts, the disciples here, the reference is to the Holy Spirit, but that's not really my point. I'm just looking at the way the language is being used. They were, their sail was filled with joy. And I reckon it probably showed on their faces. Right? I bet it did. I bet they were happy. Now they might have got thrown out of that church. But I bet they were happy. Oh, if the Holy Spirit touched you, brother, you should cry. Crying's all right. Beat the floor. That's the Holy Ghost. Well, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. But other times, you're filled with joy. I wonder if that will happen a little bit today. Let's look at another one. Last one. Not so good, this one. Acts 5 and verse 3. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Did a dodgy deal over the offering. Remember that? They thought, what sort of deal should we do? Don't like this, but we can't put nothing in. That's no deal. <laughs> so we'll go with a bad deal. <laughs> this podcast going to be out of date very soon. Isn't it? How is it that Satan, look, has so filled your heart? Now, what does Luke mean here? And what, what does Peter mean? Does he mean that Satan... You know, Satan himself turned himself into a little guy and jumped into his heart. It doesn't mean that. It means that Satan blew a temptation his way. And Ananias was filled with a satanic thought. 
just, just for free. You don't have to be demon-possessed to be filled with Satan. That's scary, isn't it? it in fact, demon-possessed people are easier to deal with. Demon possession, that's fairly simple. That's a, a bit of prayer and a couple of coffees and we're done. But Satan filling people's hearts, think that might happen a bit more often than old Beelzebub screaming out in church. By the way, don't worry when demons leave people. You want to worry about the ones that stay. Oh, someone's crying out. Good. It's on his way out. Like the man who came up to the pastor and said, Pastor, did you feel the demonic oppression in the meeting today? The pastor thought about it. He said, yeah, I did, yeah. Came on real strong as soon as you came in. <laughs> He's still going that past. <laughs> yeah. What's happened here is that Ananias has created a landing strip. For Satan's plans. Ananias' greed for money, yes? His, his conscience that allows him to lie creates a landing strip for a satanic uh, operation that didn't involve him being possessed, but just involved his heart being open to a bad wind. And so because he was filled with Satan, it led him into action that he shouldn't have taken. Here's the thing. What does it mean then to be filled with the Spirit? I want to suggest to you it means two things. Number one, it means that the Spirit will dominate your personality. Just as wonder and amazement dominated the crowd, Envy and jealousy dominated the crowd. Or joy dominated the disciples. Or evil dominated the heart of Ananias. We are looking. Now, we don't like the word domination. Sounds a bit tough, doesn't it? But, but, it's, but it's funny. Because the kingdom means the, the rulership the king over a dominion. <clears throat> and so, in many ways, we are seeking to be absolutely dominated by the king and his kingdom. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's number one. To have your, your personality. Now, of course, we're all different, aren't we? Anybody here not different? No, someone's supposed to go, I am. Oh, right, but. No, we're all, so we're not talking about we'll all be the same. 
But there's a sense in which the life, the personality of the Holy Spirit should be seen through my life. Now this is a far cry from speaking in tongues or giving a prophecy every now and then. They're all part of it too. They're all part of it too. But, but that's just sometimes initial evidence. What about the long standing evidence? Of walking around with a personality of the Holy Spirit shining through our lives. Because, which takes us to the second part. Once the Holy Spirit is dominating our personality, of course he is going to determine our behavior. You might have been, you might have spent a decade Trying to get a sin out of your life when in fact perhaps what you should have done is get the, more of the Holy Spirit in your life. And allow his personality to come through. Just a, a short while ago, maybe a year, 18 months ago, I fell out with someone. I know you can't believe this could happen. <laughs> but I fell out with someone, you know. It was some stupid thing, and it was partly my fault, partly his fault, but probably partly, mostly my fault. And I remember I was mad with him. He was a pastor, you know, so he, obviously you can't say anything. <laughs> Not in this area, so you don't know him. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, I... In the nicest possible Pentecostal way, I didn't like him. (laughs) But in a godly way. I didn't like him, but I was still singing Kumbaya. (laughs) So that was all right. And I remember I'd spent some time with the Lord in my my office. And... uh, and then I left the office, it was probably lunchtime or, anyway, I was on my way, I was walking across a campus of a college, and while I was walking across the campus of this college, I saw him coming towards me, hashtag awkward. <laughs> and suddenly... And I take no credit for this at all. Truly. I said, oh, I won't say his name. I'll call him John. John. I said, I'm so sorry about what happened between us, you know. And I'm hearing myself say this. (laughs) I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean to hurt you at all. You know, I'm really sorry. You're such a good fella. And I, and my, and my head is saying to my heart, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on here? Hit him! <laughs> they said, oh, he said, that's all right. No, he said, you, um, you're a good man too. <laughs> and we, you know, we didn't quite embrace. You know, we haven't not gone that far, but, but we made up. Right there, by a bricked-over pond. 
Not a lot of fish in that pond now. And I walked away and he walked away and I remember thinking, what happened there? And I know what happened there. I was dominated by the personality of the Holy Spirit. And it determined my behavior. Because I'd just been with the Holy Spirit up in my room. And funnily enough, when you're with the Holy Spirit, you sort of begin to turn into a bit like him. When you see him, you like him. I'm not talking about listening to sermons. I'm not talking about putting on TBN. I'm not talking about getting a green handkerchief from Brother Dingling or being baptized in the Jordan again. I'm talking about actually being in the presence of the real Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you, you may, you may disagree. And maybe you're right, maybe you're right. But I want to suggest to you but that in that moment, stood by that bricked up pond. As I loved that man who I'd fallen out with, I was probably more spirit filled in that moment than I was in a giant auditorium in Brazil with signs and wonders galore. Right? Yeah, but Brother Peter, did you speak in tongues? Who cares if I spoke in tongues? I'll have a shandy. I'll have a shandy. Will you really? Perhaps you should give alcohol up. Who stole my Honda? I don't know. (laughs) Phone the police. Listen, I love speaking in tongues. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He hasn't met my wife yet, though. (laughs) I heard the Apostle Paul had a word with the Lord, and he appeared... (laughs) Before the publishers of the NIV said, you better change that. Jane Cavanaugh's <laughs> speaking tongues more than me. God, the NIV again. <laughs> Listen. The Holy Spirit wants to dominate our personality and determine our behavior. And by the way, all the other things will happen too. Signs, wonders, prophecies, tongues. But really, that's sort of the ice cream of this. What brings glory to God? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I don't know who any of you people are. Hello? Lord, did we not do mighty miracles? Who are you people? Right? Who are you people? Depart from me. Who are you? Well, I gave a brilliant prophecy in 1980. Who are you? So I want to ask the question again. Am I a spirit-filled person? Are you a spirit-filled person? Is this a spirit-filled church? Are we going on a spirit-filled adventure together? Because if we are, then the spirit is going to dominate our personality and determine our behavior. We were praying earlier for Jean-Louis. He's a spirit-filled man. 
That's why he's smiling in pain today. I have a reputation where I'm currently living of being a bit over the top. Now I think I'm not over the top. I think they're a little under the desk. say to me, oh Peter, you're always singing. I think it's a compliment. Either that or I'm I'm auditioning to be in Cats. Ministry's not been kind to me. You see, because we're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit. Which isn't about ministry. It's about our whole life. It's about a life of joy. It's about a life of righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. And can I just remind you, and Eric Gilmore mentioned this when he was with us a while back, three of those things, righteousness, joy and peace, out of those three things, two of them are experiences. (laughs) There's no such thing as theological joy, there's only such a thing as actual joy. Let me begin to draw to a close. We're going to pray, but Ephesians 5, 18, 19, 20. Don't get drunk. Amen? Amen? Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Not many amens. I think I'm too late. Don't get drunk. Now, I mustn't be too harsh on you because I've, I've had a Yorkie or two. But don't get drunk, which leads, you see. Yeah, you're filled with something and it'll lead you somewhere else. It's going to dominate your personality and determine your behavior. Right? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. As it is interesting, this... this Correlation here between alcohol and, and the spirit. That may only be an, an inference. But there it is. What, um, the next verses tell us what goes on. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Just a bit of fun. How do you know when someone's drunk? How do you know? How do you, how do you know when they're drunk? It's the, way, it's the way they behave. I love you, I do. <laughs> if I were fitter, I'd go a lot further, you know. Three things that I think determine... It's the way people talk. Someone will show up at the church, you know, Pastor, I've not been drinking, really. I I need 40 pounds to meet my sister. (laughs) And Phil, being a man of the Spirit, goes, 
I sense. <laughs> it's no beard, you know. I sense. I mean, he operates like Elijah. He may as well look like Elijah, too. <laughs> it's much better for the posters. <laughs> a student said to me last week, Pete, you'd look great in a beard. I said, no, I'd look like Brian Blessed if I were. <laughs> so, if you can do it, do it, Phil, you know. But some of us can't. No, it's the way people talk. Now, you can tell when someone isn't full of the Spirit too. Have a look at Ephesians 4. And uh, we might have this come up too, Ephesians 4, where we're told not to grieve the Spirit. Look Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. You can't just take that verse all by itself. So now let's look at verse 29. Let's go back to 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only for what is helpful to build others up. Right? So so that verse there connects then to 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit when you make a mistake about God's will. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit when you should have given a tongue, but you didn't. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit when you should have prayed with someone on the tube. Sorry, I'm in Cambridge. On a bicycle. I guess if they're on your bike. You either know them well or they're a brilliant cat burglar. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit when you should have prayed for some. No, in the text, with people of the Bible, right? In the Bible, you grieve the Holy Spirit when unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth. And so as, as I'm approaching that guy by the, by the bricked up pond, I'll send you a, a picture of it later. It just looks like bricks, really. And you know, Suddenly, wholesome talk. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Holy Spirit was in my heart. Not Satan. But the Holy Spirit. People say, oh well, I've invited Jesus into my heart. Have you really? Not seen him for a while. Perhaps you should invite him into your head. Your lips. Your tongue, your language, your sex activities, your financial. Why don't we invite him in to everything? No, no, no. He's just in my heart. Well, he needs to expand outward. Can you say amen? Invited Jesus into my heart. Give me a Pentecostal break. Yeah, if if he's in your heart, which means that it's dominating your personality and determining your behavior. Not a magic prayer at the front of a meeting. That's no more entering the kingdom of God than baptizing a child. It's just a magic moment. No, we want to have this every day. 
You're not called to invite Jesus into your heart. That's just the beginning. You're called to be a disciple of his. Well, another message, but don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do you know when someone's drunk because of what they're saying? Singing and making many. I was once, uh, I must finish, I know, but I was once visiting a, a revival back in the, in the 90s. Some of you may know there was a revival in the 90s. Some of you were told not to go. <laughs> but when I came back from the, from the revival, as true as I stood here, I couldn't stop singing. Like all the time. So we, I'd, be, I'd be talking to you and I just couldn't help but have a note. I'd like a loaf of bread. No, but like I, I just I just stopped singing. You're not Michael Crawford. Michael Crawford. <laughs> but I just found myself singing, and to, and to this day, I'm always singing. And I believe it is a sign of my spirit-filled life. Now, there are other things that need some attention. There are other places the Holy Spirit needs to work on me. But you know someone's drunk by the way they're talking. You also know by the way they're walking. Policeman says, just walk along this straight line, will you? Oh, officer, the line is wobbly. (laughs) Galatians 5, 16... NIV says, live by the Spirit. But in the original Greek here, walk by the Spirit. So it means the same thing, but it's more specific in the original. That we're supposed to walk in a way that pleases the Spirit. First John 1, we're supposed to walk in the light. You're not supposed to walk in the darkness. Everyone look at me. Do you know there are places that you're not allowed to go? Oh, well, I've got freedom in Christ. Have you really? The last I read, you were a slave of righteousness. That's what I read in my Bible. I don't know if that's what you heard on a podcast, but in the Bible, the basic instruction before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E, you're a slave. It's so funny. All these worship songs. I'm free, I'm free. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not actually that free. I know what we mean. We mean we're free of sin. and we're free. But actually, we're free in order to become a slave of Jesus. We're free from another master in order to give ourselves in chains to another. I don't want to break his chains. In fact, I want them tighter on me. Don't you? So how do you know someone's drunk? The way they're walking, the way they're talking. And finally, every now and then, the way they're smelling. I used to work with a lady and I won't give her name out. At least not in public, but come and see me late. And every time she used to talk to you, I used to think, I hope... And I'm teetotal, you know. So if I had longer than seven minutes with her, 
I could be breathalyzed. It was like passive alcoholism. She walked around like the spirit of a brewery. She'd breathe out someone have a cigarette. Think, no, don't, don't put a flame near that lady's mouth. Second Corinthians two, fourteen. For we are to God, the aroma of Christ. He leads us in, and He spreads everywhere the fragrance. Of the knowledge of him. Listen. Look at me. Everyone look at It should be great. When you're at work. For other people. It should be. Wow. Sally's on. Today. Wow. It's going to be great. Now look. I understand. Christians go through different seasons. And some have anxieties. And go through valleys. And you're not at your best. I I accept and fully appreciate that. Read some of the Psalms and some of them are pretty lamentful. So that's part of the Christian experience too. But that ought to be the exception. The rule ought to be that we are very attractive to be around. The word of God says that in every way we should make the teaching of God our saviour attractive. People should want to be like you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to be like you, ooh, ooh. I want to talk like you. Walk like you. Ooh. I knew what Jane was going to do, so I nearly went Scooby-Doo. But, uh, okay, so I'm having fun. But actually, it's true. People should say, I want to I walk like you. I, and I want to talk like you. I became a Christian when I was 18. One of the greatest influences on my life was a young man called Andrew. When I was 14, 15, I just used to hang around with him. He was a Christian, Methodist, a Methodist Christian. And I'm telling you now, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to walk like him. I wanted to talk like him. I did. And a, f- a few years later, I, you know, come to Christ. So it's, he didn't have the direct privilege or the direct way of minute. But in fact, he preached the gospel to me through his life. By being a spirit-filled man. Or did he speak in tongues? It doesn't seem all that relevant now. So, as we draw to a close, and we'll, we'll pick this up after lunch, okay? A quote from a scholar called Max Turner. He, he was the, one of the principals at LST, where I am now. Max Turner said this, Not all Christians are full of the Spirit. For example, Acts 6 verse 3, Choose seven who are. And Turner says this, Professor Turner says this, and the criteria in Luke Acts 
is whether the community of Christians felt the impact of the Spirit through that person's life and saw the Spirit's graces and gifts regularly expressed through him or her. Now, if we were in a non-Pentecostal setting, we would want to emphasize more strongly, God wants to use you, flow through you, gifts of the Spirit, here they are. But I'm in a Pentecostal setting, everyone understand? So we're going to think about the I that's maybe not so strong as the other. How did they know they were full of the Spirit, says Turner? It was whether the community of Christians felt the impact of the Spirit through that person's life. Are you open to being filled with the Spirit today? To allowing the wind to freshly come into your sail? That may not be anything to do with what might happen here now. But might have a lasting impact on thousands of people. As they see the spirit of God in you. I want to say something now and I'm not being a heretic. So please don't take me out of context. But one time. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Now, Jesus wasn't the Father. But what he meant was, my personality is the same. You are Jesus tomorrow. You are Jesus in work. You are Jesus in your family. You are the living epistle, known and read by all men. Well, we better make it a good epistle, huh? So I want to encourage you to live a spirit-filled life. Which means this, that the spirit dominates your personality. Which determines your behavior. This afternoon we're going to open up to ask the question, does the spirit move? Or rather, in the Bible, does the spirit move us. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.